0: Okie dokie, a podcast for those addicted to the study of Scripture. Welcome fellow addicts, this is your safe place to OD.
1: Samuel! Here I am. What are we going to talk about today? Today we are continuing our way through the Gospels. This is Gospels Part 91 Last week, oh man, we had a very heavy eschatological parable that Jesus displayed uh, to his listeners about a rich man and a poor man, both going into the grave Sheol, and you have this upside down nature. Uh, In the same way that the messianic kingdom is upside down, it almost seems like... The grave itself is upside down, that those who depended on their comfort and their riches in life, that they made that their identity, they're going to be in want, experiencing want in the grave. And that those who were made low, um, cast to the side here within this realm, they're going to be lifted up uh, and glorified in the grave and so you have this struggle between the rich man and the poor man. The rich man is experiencing agony, and he's calling out to, well, he's talking to Abraham, actually, and he's well, hes first asking to get relief through water, and then he's well, hes saying, like, you can't, there's a chasm between us, which is really interesting because apparently they can see the different realms <laughs> in the grave, but you can't cross between them. Yeah. Um, and then you have this really cool picture where he's, this guy is imploring uh, Abraham to go tell his family that he's got brothers back home who are still alive who need to know about his agony so that they can practice repentance. And Abraham responds to say that if they have the, the law and the prophets. Like, yeah. <laughs> they're effectual for for them. They don't need anything else. They don't need someone coming up from the dead. Um, just yeah. crazy, crazy story. Very convicting
0: yeah, it's uh, it, it kind of seems like Jesus, in his parable, isn't having a lot of sympathy for the people who aren't figuring it out. But, it, it, we talked about it, I mean, we're not going to redo last week's episode, it's just important to know that God has expressed to humanity what his will is. We don't have to wonder— It's in the Torah. And if we're willing to accept that, then life awaits us. But if we're not... Eek. eek, Trouble. Yeah, there's just trouble. So, yeah, and remember, we also ended up with this last little bit about... It kind of seemed like this is how to live in community. You know, we have to be willing to to uh, rebuke one another and receive rebuke and and forgive and Mm -hmm. all of those things. It was was a big deal. I I mentioned that because we actually aren't even done with that story. We're going to pick up with more of what happens regarding that particular part of the story. So we're still in Luke. We're in chapter 17, verses 5 and 6. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, If you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Okay. I'm sure there's a ton of people that read that, and they think, Oh, well, all I got to do is, you know, squint my eyes and concentrate really hard and really have some faith, and then I can do magic. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. Nope. That's not what we're talking about. In fact, it's a little more complicated even than that. So it starts out after hearing Jesus's view or expectation for community life. I mean, it's kind of funny. Verse five, the apostles let out their true feelings. Wow, Jesus, that's a tall order. Us all like living together and and rebuking one another and forgiving one another and all that. That's hard. You're going to have to help Increase our faith, and then Samuel, I'm sure that you've lived in communities, whether it's with schooling or maybe in family or uh, church, whatever it could be. Uh, you can probably relate to their feelings at this moment there's a there's sort of an ideal picture that we could get in our head of what it should look like as we live together, but you know what? in real life, it's hard. It doesn't just sound hard. It is hard. And, you know, some people, when they hear it, they think it sounds impossible. But we also need to remember, you know, would God or Jesus, would they ask something of us or would they command us to do something if it wasn't within our grasp? It'd
1: be a broken system if it was.
0: Yeah, that that's just mean, right? That's just mean to ask somebody to do something that they're not able to do. So... We all, I think, the lesson from this, we need to take this more seriously. But anyway, after acknowledging their very relatable response, that is, us acknowledging it, okay, and and it's one that could easily be our own, we see Jesus now respond back to them, but it's with a statement about faith. I mean, they asked for it, increase our faith, so now he's going to explain something. So his basic meaning, I think, Samuel, is pretty simple. Even the smallest amount of faith can do great things. Does that kind of seem what's in the text? Like what's there? On surface level reading, yeah. Yeah, I think there's, I mean, there's just some simple, obvious truth in that. Okay, and the reason that that is true is because sort of like the, the secret or the key or, you know, the, the magic or whatever you want to call it, it's all about God's power, not about how great our faith is. Now, we should have faith. We should have faith without doubting as, as much as it's possible for us, but we also need to know, you know, God isn't thwarted by doubt, He may choose not to respond or this or that, or he may require faith without doubting in this situation or that situation, but God isn't, you know, just stopped. That doesn't make sense. And, you know, we need to stop for a second and think, okay, faith isn't always about stuff like uprooting mulberry trees. I mean, in a way, that's kind of a silly example. Why would you do that? Nobody's going to do that. Hey, tree, <laughs> fly into the sea. I mean, that you know, whatever. But faith can do big things, and it most certainly can because God is the one that's behind it. And why does it not always involve big stuff like that? Or why do we not always see big things like that? Because God's will is in the mix of this thing. I mean, if God really wanted a tree uprooted, and you were the one standing around by the tree, and he said, Hey, Samuel, tell that tree to get up and go into the sea. And you did it. Do you know what? It's It could happen. But God's will plays a role in this thing. So here's the question, though. So I've said a few things, but th- this is way more important. Is Jesus, when he says this, is he suggesting that they have no faith? Or... Is he suggesting that they just really aren't getting it? They don't comprehend the power or the effectiveness of the faith that they already have. Any any thoughts, Samuel?
1: Seems like the second thing that you said seems more reasonable. A, a Jewish frame of mind is not—it's all black or it's all white. You have yeah, all faith or you have no faith. That's not how they thought.
0: Yeah. And the truth is, we can actually find some pretty good arguments for both sides, right? But I think, like you, in the context, in this case, it's pretty clear. The context, I I would say, makes it pretty clear. And I will see it better as we go on, like maybe even in the very next section. But Jesus is calling them to a certain standard, that was that community thing we were talking about, rebuking and forgiving and loving and whatever, all that. He calls them to that standard, and they're kind of wilting under the charge, claiming that they need more faith, and he's telling them that they have all the faith that they need but we'll have to see it when we get there. Mm. And Samuel, I see it on your face. You got something to add to this story. What's going on? Um
1: not really. Oh, the first thing is a contextual question. huh I we've been through a lot of episodes. I can say that I'm guilty of having trouble at times keeping things straight. Where does this fit along the story that seems very similar that sounds very similar to this in Matthew 17? verse 20 where Jesus says if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Have we already covered that? Or You said Matthew 17 what? Verse 20.
0: Yes we did cover that. And I think we had very much the same same kind of uh, story in that it wasn't about Hold on, sorry. Need a second. Yeah, okay. So, I'm sorry. Back there, it again, I don't think it was anything to do with him telling them they didn't have enough faith. Like he was, you know, chiding them like they needed to have more, but it was more like if you only understood, if you could only see what even the smallest amount of faith would do. You, you would be unstoppable. So I think they're actually very much the same, and we've already covered that When We're just doing it again here.
1: Okay. Uh, I know I'm sounding very detailed. So are we to treat those these two accounts as like Jesus is using the mustard seed analogy in two def- different situations and contexts, like he's bringing the mustard seed teaching back up here later in the story since we've been trying to grow— go chronologically through the Gospels, or do people treat this as the same passage or the same moment in the narrative, but just in different Gospel accounts?
0: Oh, no, yeah, no, totally. It's two separate accounts, two separate situations. Yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't quite get what you were getting at. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah,
1: totally different. That's cool. That reinforces that this rabbinic idea that Jesus was trying to express was— it was important enough to him that he decided to bring it up twice, which is really cool. Yeah, uh, It needed and it, extra reinforcement.
0: Exactly. And, and I don't remember if we've said this out loud in the podcast before or not, but I think that the overwhelming thinking about Jesus and these Gospels is that Jesus probably told a whole bunch of these stories many, many, many times. And we're only seeing them captured for the one or two times that they get included. And so, uh, and we also saw, I think it was last week or the week before, we saw this idea where he used the exact same parable, the exact same uh, wording, everything, and he was actually teaching two completely different things. Well, not completely different, but definitely unique and separate things, whereas in this case, they seem to be very similar Mm -hmm. to, you know, the two instances. So... Yeah, I think uh, it'd be good to have a picture in our heads where we imagine Jesus repeating himself a lot.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Um, I know know we've only gone two verses. This is just a (laughs) passing comment, and I'll I'll let you have the reins again. Uh, Your comment about this dichotomy of, is it the focus on the amount of faith that I have or don't have, or our inability to understand what amount of faith we do have, what it can do for God's kingdom. And uh, it's just really funny that you brought that up because there's this band that me and another guy that does study with us, shout out Jaffe. Uh, We actually just literally saw them last night in concert in Nashville. Got back at three in the morning from that. But uh, they have a song called A Little Bit of Faith, and it talks exactly about that, just like what what your life could look like if you leaned into that and thinking, st- stop letting the problem be like, I don't have enough faith, but like, okay, I have this measure of faith in this season of life. What can I do with it in service to God instead? So oh, it's yeah. worth a listen. Check the show notes. There's a link there for you. Paul, you have the floor. <laughs> and they're the
0: okie-dokie notes. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yep. All right. Well, yeah, let's go ahead and go on, because there's some good stuff coming. So, uh, we're continuing in Luke 17. We're going to look now at verses 7 through 10. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he is coming from the field, Come at once and recline at table. Will he not rather say to him, Prepare supper for me, and dress properly, and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. <laughs> I said
1: duty. Yes, you did.
0: (laughs) So this, okay, if you are listening to this podcast right now, and hopefully it means that you've listened a little bit before, if you think that this podcast can at time be tough on the listener, if you think that we have hit too hard on this idea of repentance and returning to Torah as it applies to us. Well, Jesus just threw down, right? We got nothing on him. Uh, Let's talk about this a little bit. So let's say, and in this case, we're going to treat it a little bit like a parable, so we're trying to figure out who's who and, you know, what's symbolic of what. So let's say that you have a servant. Now, in this case, that's kind of weird, because the one who has the servant is God, and the servant, well, that's you. (laughs) So... I'm sure that's a little bit confusing, but go with us, right? So so the servant, and again, that's you, are supposed to be plowing the fields or keeping the sheep or something like that. And again, this is, I think, sort of a continuing picture of that community that we had just discussed earlier, caring for one another. But anyway, they or you come in from a hard day of work, and what do you do?
1: Ready do, to eat. Do you, Huh? I said you're ready to eat.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but do you start serving them? Right? They're they're your servant. Remember but this is so confusing. You're the one who has the servant, but the servant is symbolic of you. <laughs> but they come in and, and do you start serving them? Well, no. And and when when you're hearing this or reading this, it's supposed to be an obvious no to you. And then we go on, or do you expect them to actually serve some more. For example, preparing food and getting cleaned up and getting dressed for indoors and serving you dinner, etc. The implication is that, well, they're totally expected to serve some more. I mean, that is the life of the servant or the slave. It's simply what is expected. And, I mean, we need to say this. It does not make you a mean boss, It's just the way that it is in that culture, in that time. In fact, you're probably not going to thank them for the work that they have done. You don't thank someone who's just doing what is expected. Now, side note, it would actually be very nice and very refreshing if any of us, all of us, did behave that way toward one another being thankful and appreciative of even just the dutiful things, right? But you get Jesus's point in the story. If it's a servant, if it's a slave, they they continue to serve. They, you don't thank them. This is just normal. Uh, Samuel uh, Leviticus twenty-five, chapter twenty-five, verse fifty-five. Read that real quick.
1: For it is to me that the people of Israel are servants; they are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Okay.
0: Now we talk and and these things are all true, but we talk about Israel, and we say, "Oh, well, you know, there's a, we see the image of God marrying them at Sinai. That's a cool image. Uh he calls them his firstborn and I mean so many things. His chosen ones. Okay, all true, but he, they are also his servants. And we, as modern-day Christians, maybe there are some Jews listening to this podcast. I, I would kind of doubt it, but maybe. If so, that'd be fantastic. But we are supposed to be grafted into Israel. So it's the same thing for us. We are servants of God. Now, why am I bringing that up? Because it plays into Jesus's point. What's he talking about? What's his overall point? Jesus is asking Israel— and by extension, us, to do what is our duty. And Samuel, what is that? If we could just say it in simple terms. What's our duty toward God? Keep his commandments. Yeah, keeping Torah, imaging him. In a sense, there's nothing special in that. It is expected. It is ordinary. And even if we were to live faithful lives, even to the point of let's just say, no more sinning, we we actually reach a point where we are totally in tune with God's will, okay, we would still only have done our duty. And Jesus's point is that we need to have an attitude like that. The apostles in this little section seem to think that it was a great thing that was being asked of them. But Jesus is suggesting it really isn't. Not only is a small amount of faith effective for very great things, we only need a very small amount of faith, especially when what's being asked of us is only our duty. If we viewed righteousness and seeking the kingdom now as the least we could do for our great God, uh, we might actually have some success in imaging him. I feel like I'm kind of beaten up on, on our listeners, Samuel, but, but there's more. And maybe I'm just to say, get more to the point. Don't think you deserve a reward every time you do something good, which is just another way of saying, obey God's will. You've done nothing special. You've only stopped being disobedient. You've only stopped being unfaithful. Now, I'm also somewhat of a realist. It's true this would only I mean, th- this would definitely seem kind of special, kind of rare in this world to us. I get that. But Jesus is not talking about the practical reality he's talking about the reality it really is nothing more than our duty and we need to hear Jesus's words i think if we were to go back take a peek at verse 6 we can now see why we mentioned before why we think that Jesus is not suggesting that they have no faith right they they thought that they needed more And we had two choices. He's telling them they have none, or that, you know, only a little does great things. This seems to make it a lot more obvious. Their view of reality is skewed. It's true that only a small amount of faith is needed to do great things, but they aren't even being asked to do a great thing. They're only being asked to do their duty to God. And, okay, Samuel is only doing our duty to God. Uh, Is that easy? (laughs) Nope. (laughs) No. It's a lot easier said than done. We get it. But that doesn't change the point of what Jesus is saying. Our perspective, our attitude, very, very important. You can't hit a target if you don't actually take aim
1: at that target so oh man paul this is this is heavy stuff and i'm wrestling a lot with it right now and i expect other people to be wrestling as well so you ready for some pushback do it so how does this line up with I, i don't have any specific references off the top of my head of Jesus saying it, but I definitely recall of like Paul, the apostle in his letters talk about that, the dynamic of this reality that you're speaking of about obeying God's will, like leaning into your true nature of imaging God, that there's going to be reward happening um, after that. Like one example uh, Colossians 3:24 like since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward it is the Lord Christ you are serving um, yeah I guess it's in, in a Jewish perspective where does the reward fit in the midst of this dynamic that you're painting right now of doing things for the sake of your duty uh, and what yeah. you're called to?
0: Yeah, great question, great question. So, the first question would be, gosh, Paul, are you saying that there is no reward? I definitely didn't say that. What we're talking about is attitude, perspective, and remember, like, one of the things I said, what, what did I write up there? Yeah, don't think that you deserve a reward every time you do something good, right? Right? And I always get the image in my head of a dog. <laughs> All right, sit. And they sit, and so you give them a little treat, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what we're talking about. Don't feel like you need—you you should be getting rewarded every time you do something that's just your duty. Now, this is very separate from, okay, but but is there not a reward for those who are faithful, for those who do their duty, etc.? yes. Yes, and think about that verse that you just read. Read it again, Samuel, or say it again, whatever it was.
1: Yeah. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Okay, what is the reward? Uh, Inheritance. Ah, and what is it that we are inheriting
0: as co-heirs with Christ? Uh, The kingdom. (laughs) Life, yeah. And so... Nobody's taken that reward away from you. And and it's it's not as if there is no reward. The reward is like the story. If you are faithful, if you are loyal, if you, you know, in a sense do your duty if you want to think of it that way. It's a, it's a weird way to phrase it, I know. But of course, the reward is a big part of the story, but you do you get the reward for a lifetime of loyalty and faithfulness. This is talking about, man, don't feel like every time, you know, you give up your seat on the bus for an old lady that somehow you need some sort of spiritual reward. You're you're just, this is just ordinary.
1: So does that kind of help with that one a little bit, Samuel? Kind of. Are, Are you also getting at the wanting to, those who are wanting to receive some type of, acknowledgement here within this realm for the good things that they do and maybe the more appropriate response is that it's more delayed gratification in that yeah you may go your whole life and do all sorts of good and no one may never see it uh yeah but the like and one of the passages i just remembered while we were talking about this that jesus said matthew six twenty like store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Yeah. So it's it's hard because like I, I, I'm not trying to convey that the motivation behind doing the things is so that you'll receive a reward, but it's something that also needs to be kept in the back of your mind as like a, a source of hope, I guess, to think that especially when you don't see maybe the fruits of your goodness here on yeah. this realm, that those the, the reaping um, of what you're sowing will have a day that you'll see it uh, in that reward that's coming.
0: Yeah. And that's uh, maybe, maybe this will help a little bit. Let's switch it around a l- little bit and let's not talk about God and church and Christians and all that. Let's just talk about a business. I don't know if you've experienced this enough, but I, I think that it will make sense to you. If you went to a business And let's just say it's a restaurant, that make it easy. And let's say that the guy running the restaurant, all he cared about was making money. He was in it for the reward. I'm just gonna a simple question. Do you think that you're gonna get very good food or big portions or really good service or any of those things?
1: Absolutely not.
0: Probably not, probably not, because what he's looking toward is the reward. Now, let's turn that around. Got another guy, he has a restaurant, and all he cares about is that the people that eat in his restaurant are satisfied, happy, feeling good, loving what they just ate, all that kind of stuff. Do you think if you went into that restaurant that you're going to get good food and good portions and good service, all of that? Hopefully, probably. Yeah. Now, here's the other side of it. Same two guys. The first guy, all he cares about is money, but he, he doesn't provide good food, good service, all that. Is he going to get rich off his restaurant?
1: I mean, he's not going to make as much as the one who was only concerned about making money. Yeah. He's probably going to
0: go under because he's he's got the wrong focus, right? But what about the other guy that all he cares about is taking care of his customers? He doesn't even care that he's making money. He just wants people to enjoy his food and love coming there. Do you think he's going to make a lot of money? <laughs> yeah. He's probably going to get overwhelmed with it, right? Because yeah. everybody's going to want to go there. Everybody's going to want to participate in what he's got. So, it's Now, take that and sort of overlay that on top of this. If you're going through life, your Christian life, and all you're thinking about is the reward, my treasure's in heaven, or I want my eternal life, or whatever it is, if that's where your focus in is, how good are you going to be at actually doing your duty? You're going to be horrible at it because your focus is in the wrong place. But now turn that around. What if you only care about... God's will, imaging him, pleasing him, being the good servant, the best that you can possibly be. You're not thinking about or caring about the reward, you're just trusting, you know what, God's got all that taken care of. That's not That's not for me to care about or think about. Well, do you think that you're going to be in a good spot in the end of days? Mm. Right? So that's, I, I think, what's being communicated here. It's, you have to get your head in the right spot. You've got to understand that you're a servant and you need to focus on doing your duties as a servant
1: and let the rest of it take care of itself. Does that help any? It does, for sure. Um, Maybe it... I'm so sorry that I'm keeping us here. The stuff that you said is very radical and maybe I'm just struggling with it. Like Another thing that I think of is... The, the reward that someone's going to get in the age to come, it's gonna be different depending on the person and how they live their life. Uh, like because I know that you said like when whenever I referenced that Colossians verse that the reward is the inheritance, life. Like definitely true, but then you have like com- I have competing narratives going on in my head right now. Like um one of Jesus' parables just had it, yeah. Matthew twenty uh, verses one through fifteen. You had the landowner with the denarii, uh, giving each of the servants a denarii and going out and investing it. And you know the the characters in that story, some were gifted with more after the fact, but d- depending on how they used it from the master than others. And then I have other competing narratives like. They go along with that, like Paul the Apostle in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2, when he, like, he seems to be talking about himself and some vision that he had about in the heavenly realm. And he said, like, I was caught up to the third heaven. <laughs> I knew a man in Christ 14 years who was caught up into the third heaven. And so I guess something that's on my mind a lot is like, man, does that mean that some people are going to get to experience the richness of the kingdom and the world to come more or in an increased capacity compared to others based on, you know, the, the level in which they pursued righteousness and holiness and goodness and fulfilling yeah. mitzvot in their life. And so maybe there, there's some fear and anxiety going on. It's like, well, I don't want to miss out. Like, I, I want to experience those things as full fully as possible. But the text seems to imply that there's different levels here, not to say that it's a punishment or anything, but it's like measure for measure, like that Jewish idea of reaping yeah. what you sow. Does that, do you get the the tension? Yeah,
0: yeah I totally see that. And there's, there, there is an idea in here, I think, that's getting just a little bit confused. Um, if we think about, how can I say this? There's the idea of... Uh, responsibility, and and if you are faithful in little, you will be faithful in much.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: and and someone who can be trusted with a small amount might be then entrusted with even more. And that is a little bit different from the idea of reward, because this is this is all about again your your faithfulness, not so much about the reward. And then the idea of, you know, different heavens or whatever. So, number one, we need to acknowledge something right off the top. We have very limited information about the end. We just do our best to put together the 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 vision, the image that we think that we can pull from the Scriptures. So this whole idea about rewards, I mean, some people think we're actually going to get literal crowns. Other people think those are just metaphors. Some people think that there's actual treasure-like things in heaven, and some people are going to get more than others, or whatever. And other people think, no, you're misunderstanding. You're you're simply you're simply ensuring your place in the kingdom. Now, Jesus Himself said, you know, there's such a thing as being least in the kingdom. But do we even know what that means? I mean if you are least in the kingdom is that is that bad news
1: it's like if you graduate at <laughs> the bottom of your class in medical school you're still a doctor yeah <laughs> yeah your patients may suffer but <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah so it, there there's a whole bunch that we don't understand here and then at the same time we're bringing in different ideas like in this case uh just the idea of uh responsibility and faithfulness with with uh, the things that you have been given whether they be uh, resources or actual abilities or uh, you know people g- you know given into your charge or, or whatever it might be and so this this idea of reward i think i think it's probably interesting and fun to talk about what might our rewards be like in the kingdom and the world to come But I think that they are somewhat of a distraction and and a red herring because the only real reward that's of any real value, at least that we can be certain of here and now, is I'm in the kingdom. I am in the world to come. I did attain eternal life with him instead of eternal death. So... I think that's probably a much healthier thing to actually really hold on tightly to, and all of the other stuff, it's just kind of, you know, interesting, fun talk, and, and if we try to take it too literally or try to to quantify it or, or somehow identify it precisely in any way, I think it just adds to confusion. Uh, so I don't know if I'm answering your question, but is is any of that, kind of easing the struggle.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um And I was not trying to combat your teaching in this section at all. No, no, I've, no. I've read so much stuff in traditional Judaism from those who don't even follow Jesus that sound just like Jesus and saying that you need to, as much as you can, you should try to practice your charity and your hospitality and your mercy anonymously. Because like that's the true test of your heart behind doing something uh, is the lack yeah. of needing praise after that act has been done. So, hundred percent behind that. I guess I'm just I I'm wanting to hold everything in balance, and I don't want people to walk away feeling fatalistic, like you know I'm just doing this, you know, because it's my duty, and there's not more <laughs> things to come. I'm not saying that you said that, but you know, right. people have a tendency to. Generalize things after hearing them, um, and I sure. want to, you know, seesaw it with you know the hope and the things to come that we will get to see fully, in whatever manner that is, uh even if we can't understand it now. Yeah, yeah, and you never know. I mean,
0: there may be people that listened or are listening or will listen, and they're gonna, they're gonna hear it that way, and and that isn't what's being said and and maybe this is one of those sections of scripture or or a topic or whatever maybe i'm just completely wrong so there is that or maybe it's just something that that you know let that one sit a little bit come back to it another day and maybe it'll make a little more sense or maybe another day after that it's uh it's not trying to say anything negative about the reward or, you know, life or our inheritance, or it's not trying to diminish it in any way. It's it's just people need the wake-up call. I mean, we live in a world, a Christian world, in 2022 in America, we live in a world where people actually think, if you just believe in Jesus, you're going to heaven. And when they hear that, That's no different than believing in the Easter Bunny or believing in Santa Claus, and they're not changing their life, they're not doing anything, or maybe on the outside they start going to church, and I've said it before, it's nothing more than a social club. People need to hear the truth. You have been called to a great thing, and you cannot just say, Oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I'm good you have to live a life that is in direct opposition to the life that you have lived up to that point and you need to begin living as a new creation and that means you look like him and that's you know that's just that's just what you're supposed to be that's being human mm. so it's it is it's a hard message and uh, the thing is we're not going to shy away from it because who else is going to tell him yeah somebody's got to say it Mm-hmm. So we did. And if you don't like it, uh, please listen to the next episode anyway.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't take us on a rabbit trail. I took us on a Texas Longhorn livestock trail. So, Paul, <laughs> take the reins. Bring us well, back. Here we go. We are going to move.
0: You know what? We're going to get away from Luke, which is weird. We were on there for a long time, and I think we're going to be back pretty soon. But we're going to move over to John for a little bit. And let's see what he's got to say, because he never causes us any confusion. (laughs) All right, we're going to John chapter 11. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4. And you never know if this may be the last we do today, (laughs) but that's all right. Here we go. This is a really long section of Scripture anyway, broken into a lot of pieces, so uh, we weren't going to make it through it all today anyhow. So, uh, sorry, John chapter 11, verses 1 to 4 says this. Now, a certain man... Was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now, I'm going to admit when I just read that like under normal circumstances, eh, you know, I don't think all that much of it. I just try to pick up on the important part of the story and move on. When you're really trying to study and figure out what's going on here, this is a hot mess. <laughs> It is unbelievable. So, okay, John, he gives us this super strange info, uh, intro. First, he tells us there is a man who is ill, and then he tells us it's Lazarus of Bethany. Then he tells us that Bethany is the village of Mary and Martha. Now, We've heard about them before, Samuel. Do you remember what the story that we have already covered?
1: You got the host that's concerned about serving and you got the other one at the master's feet wanting to be a disciple and learn. Exactly. Martha's our anxious little host and
0: Mary is just sitting at the feet. Now, okay, so he tells us that Bethany is the village of Mary and Martha and then he tells us another bit about Mary as if we should recall it. But here's the funny thing. In John's gospel, John hasn't told us that story yet. We're only in chapter 11, and it isn't until John chapter 12, verse 3, that we hear about Mary anointing Jesus' feet and wiping uh, the feet with her hair. So that's super weird. And then he finally tells us that Lazarus is Mary's brother. And just the obvious question, is he not Martha's brother too? (laughs) Poor Martha. (laughs) Yeah. So John's writing can be, and in this case is, so strange. And yet he's also so genius. I just don't believe that he's ever really wasting words. You know, he's crafty as a writer. So, I don't know. Some, they look at all this and they suggest, hey, this hints that there's some sort of special, I don't know, connection or affection or something between Mary and Jesus, but not so much with Martha. And and, and even in that, nobody's uh, suggesting anything weird uh, it's, it's I think, like, in the extreme case, they would say, well, you know, if it was kind of like a different life, maybe if Jesus wasn't God and Messiah, you know, they might have hit it off. They may have actually married, or, you know, something of that, that kind of affection. And, I don't know, maybe it could be, but who who knows? But you got to admit, the lingo that's used in those first couple of verses, totally weird. But then, the sisters... They want to send word to Jesus. And boy, what do they tell him? He whom you love is ill. Do you see any chance for confusion there, Samuel? (laughs) What is with these people?
1: Yeah, that, that gives off language like whenever John is referencing himself, like the disciple whom Jesus loved. Exactly. And what's funny about that is whose Gospels are we reading right now? John's.
0: Yeah. This this is so weird. So the thing is, and, and I mean, we can obviously guess, Jesus does indeed know exactly who they mean, but that's just weird lingo. Who talks like that? Even in Bible times, who talks like that? And then what does Jesus do? He proclaims that this illness will not be. End in death. Or his words, at least in the ESV that we're reading, says this illness does not lead to death. Now, Samuel, does that sound like good news? Definitely. Yeah. Now, the funny thing is, and I hate to be the spoiler, but (laughs) Lazarus is going to die. Mostly dead. (laughs) Yeah. And what's weird is, is, you know, for the the people who've really sat down and really tried to figure out what a reasonable timeline would look like, where Jesus was, how long it would take him to get there, this, that, all that. In some of the most reasonable scenarios, at the moment Jesus gets this message, Lazarus is already dead. And, you know, do you think Jesus knows that? We don't know for sure, but he probably does. So it's a crazy thing. He proclaims that this illness does not lead to death. And then he adds that little bit about it's being for God's glory. And and so the Son of God may be glorified. And that probably should remind us a little bit about John chapter 9, verses 3 and 4, where this sort of thing happened before. But I'm going to save that. We'll talk about it in, in an upcoming little bit. So, it's it's probably not going to be you know sort of that straightforward good news that we may have thought it was originally or maybe we were hoping that it was a second ago whatever but still giving it to john this is good storytelling right here that's a that's just a crazy open to that story
1: yeah yep (sighs) yeah um yeah i've got (laughs) i've got questions Lay them on us, Samuel. Um, first thing, did you notice that in the previous section when we, since we're going chronologically, we were in Luke before this, and we had just covered the parable of the rich man and the poor man, and that the poor poor man's name was Lazarus? Like, is there any mm-hmm. connection there? Like, do you know of any intentionality behind maybe Jesus using? the name Lazarus in that parable, and then it leads to this story like in the narrative. I don't know. It's yeah. interesting. Good question. It's nothing
0: I've ever considered myself, and I do not recall ever reading anything that would have connected these in that way, but uh boy, I'm totally open to it. I'm sorry. I just, I got nothing for you on that one, Sam. No,
1: that's... It's just a, it's an interesting idea. That's one of those hypothetical Midrashic things for you to contemplate on your own time. Yeah, there you go. Um, now, the next thing has to do with Mary. Um, mm-hmm. You said that, so if if the account of the wiping of Jesus' feet with the hair ha- hasn't happened yet in John's gospel, is that a a narrative way, like... John as the narrator is setting the reader or the listener of the gospel up for that story later or like textual criticism. Is it something that when the text was getting compiled, it got put out of order? like Right. Uh, uh, and then when we get to that point in John, you said, was it, was it 12 where that happens? Yes. Chapter 12 verse three is where you see that. So, on our okie-dokie notes, we have all four Gospels side-by-side side to show similar accounts happening in another Gospel to show that it's it's the same account. Do you, do you know the the account in Luke, chapter 7, that there's a... like It, it doesn't say Mary, but it says that, <laughs> that there's a woman who washes Jesus's feet. She had an alabaster jar of perfume, uses her hair to, to wipe it, like Different accounts, same accounts. Yeah, that
0: is a really big argument in scholarly circles. And, well, it would be silly for me to try to uh, either determine or or project who might win the arguments or whatever. For me, the guys who are the most convincing uh, believe those are two completely
1: different stories. What are the odds of two different women washing Jesus' face feet with their hair like I that, that is wild. Yeah,
0: now now didn't I'm sorry, the the one where'd you say it was Luke, 7? Yeah, Luke seven? Yeah. Wasn't that with wasn't that with tears and not with perfume um, or something? Let's
1: see, verse thirty seven she so she brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind Jesus at his feet crying. She began to wash his feet with her tears and she dried them with her hair. There but, you go. Why does the text mention the perfume but it doesn't say anything about <laughs> using it God, i got no idea i yeah i don't know i don't know
0: and and that's uh, that's one of their little issues right the, the the difference between the tears and the perfume and and the fact that you know mary and martha and lazarus uh, family in bethany near jerusalem he stayed with them you know why would that story you know treat her like a stranger uh, it's all I don't know. And the, some, you know, some of them think that, well, she was a stranger then, but that's how they became acquainted. And so, therefore, that's why they're buddies now. I mean, there's all kinds of uh, arguments and explanations. And and I, I, I'll be the first to admit, I can't say, you know, as if I know the answer. I can only tell you I am I personally am completely convinced they're two different stories, two different yeah. people.
1: Just yeah. later in that in that Luke uh, 7 passage in verse 46, it does say, Jesus says, You did not put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on on my feet. So,
0: Oh, there it, you go. Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I didn't bring it up to, to expecting you to have an answer. I guess it's just bringing it up for the sake of asking these questions, because these questions are important. Like, oh, yeah. Th- these are the kind of things one should be thinking of when you're reading your text uh, and not just lullaby effect, letting it pass by and moving on to the next story. Like it, it, It's all a big web that's interconnected, and it's our mission to try to figure it all out. Yeah. Yeah, and an important part of that is, okay, why do we do this podcast
0: in the style that we do this podcast? Well, we don't think that people have very good experiences reading their Bible. And what we mean when we say that, is they read it like any other book. Fiction, history, this, that, whatever. They just read over. Whatever. Scripture is something that needs to be savored. It's something that needs to be meditated on. And so we go through, I think, what some people, Samuel, might consider slowly. <laughs> I don't know what's up with that. But anyway, we go through it slowly very slowly, methodically, and all along the way, we talk about many, many different things. We bring up a lot of different questions, we bring up a lot of different thoughts uh, from people across history, whatever, to try to add a lot of flesh to the bone, add a lot of color to the image, and we do that not because we have all the questions or all the answers, and if you just listen to us, now there's nothing else to think about, we hope that we're doing it enough and, and setting the example and the precedent, precedent enough that as you grow accustomed to us reading it this way and talking about it this way and bringing up all these things, that you will become like that, that you will read it this way, that it'll take you forever to get through any part of the Bible like us because you're thinking about things and you're asking questions like the one is asking— you're looking things up. I thought I saw something like this somewhere else. I wonder if these things go together. I, and the next thing you know, three days have gone by, and it's like, yeah, I, I thought I started on verse six. <laughs> uh, I'm still on verse six. What happened? So, and and that is some of the beauty of studying your Bible that we're hoping to uh, spread, let's say, out into the Christian community because I think it's a it's it's a, a bit of a lost art. Mm-hmm. So, you no, know, these are great. I'm just saying, Samuel, you asking these questions and me being able to confidently say I don't know, <laughs> I think that's that's great, and that's what everybody needs to be doing. And and just hopefully, by the time we're done with this podcast and enough people have listened, there'll be way more questions than we ever could have imagined, and certainly never could answer. But it'll lead people to. A deeper understanding of God and what's really going on in the story with Jesus and all that. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. Time will
1: tell. Yeah, but you make me think sixty second, and we're getting ready to piece out of here. Sixty second Hebrew word study, Psalm yeah. chapter one verse two, when the psalmist is saying, "You got this person that delights in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night." You mentioned about the person needs to be chewing on it, meditating on it. That Hebrew word, hagah. Uh, like the literal interpretation of that is like a low growl. And you think of like a a tiger or a lion doing that almost throaty, chest-like rumbling. Uh, It's supposed to evoke this picture of it needs to become a part of your voice um, as you're turning it over and over itself uh, in your language, uh, becoming a part of your... woven within the fabric of... Who you're created to be, so...
0: That's right.
1: Haggah. Instead of huzzah, it's (laughs) Haggah.
0: That's right. When you read your Bible, you ought to be purring. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, believe it or not, we smoked this hour, Samuel. (laughs)
1: And it feels like we did it in record time. (laughs) Yeah, who says we can't do an episode when I get home at 3 a.m.? We need to do it more often. (laughs) Yeah, this is great. So, seriously, though, uh,
0: we're going to cut this story about Lazarus. We'll pick it up on the next episode. So, I think we're done.
1: Okie dokie. Thanks for listening to the Okie Dokie Most podcast. Please don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Be sure to write us a rating and a review to let us know how this content is impacting your life. You can find out more information about us in the podcast at www.okidokimos.com And if you'd like to get a hold of us, please send us an email at okidokimos at gmail.com And until next time, we pray that you will do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed rightly handling the word of truth we'll talk to you again soon